0: Welcome to the Fantastically Terrible podcast, episode 35, A History of the End of the World. People think of the end of the world as a singular event. After all, it is the end. But humans are nothing if not creative about their own destruction. The ultimate annihilation, the end of the world, Armageddon, or the apocalypse has a long history. It seems the end is always near. Terrible. Character or creature this week is the plague doctor. They were physicians who treated victims of the bubonic plague during the 1600s. They are known for their unique costumes that included a mask that resembles a crow's beak.
1: You can't miss them.
0: They're actually pretty cool. They're, I wanted one of those. It's a
1: very cool design.
0: I wish I got to walk around with one of those. <laughs>
1: You can, just for no purpose.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I kind of freak people out.
1: If you enjoy our show, please give us a like and subscribe. I highly recommend watching the video version of this episode on YouTube, which is released a few days after the podcast. And now, on with the show. To characterize all past religions as believing in the end of days is incorrect. Most look at eras and stages and cycles, some better than others but all leading to a chance at renewal. We often get bogged down in our own western beliefs and think that everyone has the same point of view. With that in mind, This show is absolutely focused on the major religions that believe in a final judgment from which no one can escape. It's not at the end of your life, for example, like the ancient Egyptians, but the end of the world as we know it. We're gonna look at the history of the end of the world.
0: Hinduism is a very fluid belief system that unites related religious traditions native to India. It has traditions that date back to the Bronze and Iron Ages, which is why it's the world's oldest religion. This is from History.com. In Hinduism, there's the story of the god Vishnu coming back in the last cycle of time as a figure called Kulki, who rides a white horse, carries a sword that looks like a comet, and destroys the forces of evil. In some Buddhist prophecies, the equivalent of Armageddon is Shambhala, in which good triumphs over evil. However, the planet is restored rather than destroyed so people can pursue enlightenment.
1: It's interesting that they have the elements of comets, which is a common way for the world to end. Mm-hmm. And also that it's not a destruction.
0: No, it's, it's a, point a renewal. Of point of rebirth.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: This is from BBC Religions. Brahma is the creator of the universe and Shiva is the destroyer. Vishnu is the preserver and protector of the universe. His role is to return to the earth in troubled times and restore the balance of good and evil. So far, he has been incarnated nine times. But Hindus believe that he will be reincarnated one last time close to the end Of this world.
1: We'll see these themes repeated. This idea that morality is in progressive decline. And at some point, we need some type of Messiah or Savior to bring balance.
0: Kind of like society being reincarnated all over again. Not just one individual.
1: I read somewhere that in Hinduism and Buddhism, they do believe that planets are living beings. And eventually Mm -hmm. they also die. Next is the ancient Persian religion of Zoroastrianism, which dates from around the 6th or even the 10th century BCE. It's at least 3,500 years old. The main apocalyptic text is the zand e waminyasin which dates to the early 15th century BCE. These writings describe several key events in which their god, Ahura Mazda, reveals the truth to the prophet Zarathustra. Since this religion predates Judaism, you'll notice many similarities with the Abrahamic religions, including the following. Worsening climate changes that lead to famine and nearly unlivable conditions on the planet, people becoming increasingly wicked and corrupt, a final battle between good and evil, including the clash between the forces of heaven and hell and the angels and the demons, the arrival of a savior, in their case known as Sao a resurrection of the dead, the punishment and physical suffering of wicked people, the righteous who are transformed into a divine immortal state, and finally humanity living with the one true God because they were also monotheistic. The main teachings were from the prophet Zoaster or Zarathustra. Historians believed he lived between the 10th and 6th centuries BCE. From what we know, these were the first believers in a prophecy about a Messiah. Their world savior, as we mentioned, was Sao Shint. He's referred to as the righteous or wise one. Who will defeat evil and reestablish truth and virtue in the end times. So it sounds very similar to Christianity and even Islam. In the Zoroastrian scriptures, Zarathustra asks God how much time remains until the time of the making all things new and perfect, and God says, 3,000 years. And Zarathustra was actually a little bit upset by this, that it would take that long in order... To bring back justice. It's right. interesting, no matter how far back you go in our history, yeah. they're always talking about being so corrupt they have to wipe the slate clean. Like we it's think it's bad now, but if you go yeah. back, you know, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, they were saying the exact same thing.
0: Absolutely.
1: According to Zarathustra, how will the world end?
0: how
1: He noted with a comet. Mm. A comet will collide with the earth and melt the hills and the mountains, and God will eventually lock up the evil spirit. The comet's fire will burn the evil, and in their case, they have an evil serpent, mm. which reminds me of the Nordic religions, right. and also in Christianity, usually the serpent is yeah. the devil.
0: Like the world serpent. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So the comet's fire will burn the evil away, and they also believed in hell, it will burn up hell. So a lot of similarities. Wait a
0: second, it's going to burn up hell? How does that work?
1: Well, hell being fire is just uh, artistic representation. Right,
0: right. Okay, okay. okay, yeah, that's true. Okay,
1: uh, so we now know that the dinosaurs were wiped out by an event that was a comet mm-hmm. about 65 million years ago. And in our modern science, we know that these collisions do happen periodically, including mass extinctions. Right. So the fact that they believed that a comet would collide with the Earth and cause a mass extinction is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And again, if we go back to Hinduism, Mm -hmm. and they mentioned the sword was like a comet. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. When you think of older cultures and older religions, they're always... Looking to the stars, it's interesting. They're always studying astronomy and calculating. It um, must
0: have happened in the past for them. That's to what I think. That. I think,
1: and it's incorporated as yeah. how will the world be destroyed? Well, right. something collides with the Earth. I, I just find that very interesting. And that the oldest religions talk about comets colliding with the Earth. There was even a book that was very popular in 1997 by Michael Drosnin. And it was called the Bible Code. And oh, he, I remember that. Yeah, it was very popular. Yeah, very it still popular. is. And he describes a collision with uh, an asteroid or a comet hitting the earth. But he tied that into the Christian belief in in uh, the apocalypse.
0: Interesting, because you know who else had a Bible Code way before this guy? Mm. Isaac Newton. Ah. Yeah, Isaac Newton did a whole thing on, on that. And he came up with 2060-something.
1: Okay, so let's move forward a little bit to the Assyrian Empire.
0: The earliest prediction of the end of the world comes from the Assyrians, a powerful Mesopotamian culture that lasted about 2,000 years. A tablet was found dating back to sometime between 2,800 and 2,500 BCE that bears the first known prophecy of the end days. What did it say? According to the translation, our earth is degenerate in these later days. There are signs that the world is speedily coming to an end. Bribery and corruption are common. Children no longer obey their parents. (gasps) Every man wants to write a book. (laughs) And at the end of the world, evidently approaching.
1: So it sounds like something they would write today. And this was written... About 5,000 years ago.
0: You know what's really interesting, though? It's talking about more of a social thing, whereas the other two are talking about natural phenomena, which makes but more sense. But they also
1: talk about people being more immoral.
0: Yeah, but and then there's this a one comment. Is as well. I can buy the comment, but, you know, if you look through human history, it's always there.
1: The way they phrase that is very modern.
0: Yes, it's, it's almost like we've been complaining about this for too long.
1: Yes, <laughs> and um, it just seems like we are always have the same complaints, and everyone yeah. thinks, oh, it must be the end.
0: So back then, this was the equivalent back then of saying, uh, So what's if the we world said 5,000
1: years from now, we're still here, and we're still complaining about the same things. Right. People suck. Yeah. They're really good, but when they're bad, they're really bad. Yeah. So now let's move along a little bit to Judaism. Judaism dates back to about the 9th or 5th century BCE, approximately 4,000 years ago. Now, many people ask, does Judaism have an end-of-the-world belief? Does it? Most Jews believe in the Moshiach, which is Hebrew for the Anointed One, the Messiah. This long-awaited Jewish leader will usher in an era of world peace and godly awareness, He will be a descendant of King David and will lead the Jewish people back to the land of Israel and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. All leaders of the world will acknowledge the dominion of the Moshiach, creating a new era of international peace and prosperity that will endure forever. And Jewish scripture refers to this period as the Messianic period. Judaism seemed to morph into its current form in the 6th century BCE. Two of the most fundamental tenets of the modern Jewish faith are listed in the Maimonides. These are the 13 principles of Jewish faith. And they're a belief in the ultimate redemption, an awaited era of world peace, prosperity, and wisdom, and the belief that the dead will be resurrected at that time. The Maimonides were written in the Middle Ages by rabbi, doctor, philosopher, he did it all, Moses ben Maimon, or Rambam. He lived from around 1138 to 1204. He was a Sephardic Jew born to a distinguished family in Spain, but lived most of his life in Egypt.
0: The Jewish tradition has many opinions on the subject of heaven and hell, although they're not obsessed. With the idea.
1: Yeah, because many people can be. Uh, There are several biblical references to what they call shoal, not hell. Mm -hmm. They don't have a reference to hell, but they have shoal. For example, Numbers 30 and 33. They describe it as the dark and deep, or the pit, or the land of forgetfulness, which is still pretty bleak.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, The books of Ecclesiastes and Job, or Job. Job insists that all of the dead go to Sheol, whether good or evil, rich or poor, slave or free. And that's from Job three, eleven to nineteen. And again there's different Jewish traditions. Uh, later preeminent rabbis claimed that the righteous might suffer in this world and receive their reward in the next.
0: Interesting. So they
1: added a little bit of hope.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> and they do they don't really talk about heaven. But they do talk about Gan Eden, or the Garden of Eden. Interesting. And this seems to be how they refer to the heavenly realm where the soul resides after physical death. Interesting. And uh, this use of Gan Eden to describe heaven suggests that we return to a blissful existence with God, just Mm. like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Mm-hmm. It is generally believed that uh, in Gan Edan, the human soul exists in a disembodied state until the time of bodily resurrection in the days of the Messiah. It might be a split. Older texts say we all, almost like the ancient Greeks, Yeah, they, uh, had, uh, they all went to TARDIS and the Romans right. as well.
0: What's interesting, they don't have to torture chambers.
1: Yes, they don't have that idea.
0: that idea is like newer.
1: They do have something. I'm going to take this from myjewishlearning.com. Only truly righteous souls ascend directly to the Garden of Eden, say the sages. Mm -hmm. The average person descends to a place of punishment and or purification, generally referred to as ghanom. Some view ghanom as a place of torture and punishment, fire and brimstone, but others imagine it to be less harsh, a place where you sort of repent for your sins, almost like a purgatory idea if you tie it to the Christian. It's where you go to cleanse yourself of your sins. However, it's a 12-month period, so it's not you're in hell forever being tortured. It's not Dante's Inferno. It's uh, uh, just a state that lasts for a maximum twelve months, and then afterwards, hopefully, you go to the Garden of Eden. Hmm. So that was very interesting because a lot of people convolute Christianity with Judaism.
0: Yeah, especially about hell.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah, that, that exactly. They don't really have that idea no. of eternal damnation of the soul. And
0: fire and all that stuff doesn't exist.
1: Anymore. Well, they uh, you know some imagine Ganam to be torture like that other ones think it's just a cleansing a purification period
0: i've heard some people say that it's a state of mind too that you can be in a state of shul right here while you're living
1: sure yeah um, of course of course
0: so it depends who you talk to it depends it's not a monolithic necessarily a monolithic exactly
1: exactly there are variations and also in judaism there is no term for armageddon uh, there is a day of the Lord in which God causes death and destruction to people who deserve to be punished. <laughs> they have a war of Gog and Magog in which Israel and God fight their enemies. Mm-hmm. But it's not like those Zoroastrianism where it's heaven and hell and the angels and demons fighting because they don't believe in that. Right. It is uh, a, a war where the righteous are fighting right. against the evil ones other enemies right. and their belief in hell as we mentioned doesn't exist they mm-hmm. have shoal and they have genom right but it's not the same and uh you know some people also i've heard uh, christian evangelicals mention antichrist as though it's in the jewish belief and of course it's not if they don't believe in christ they do not believe in an antichrist
0: next is christianity Christianity was founded around 33 CE, making Christianity almost 2,000 years old. Christians believe that Jesus Christ will return and reign eternally, but different religions and beliefs have their own thoughts on when this will happen. Many Catholics, liberal Protestants, and Orthodox Christians do not emphasize the end of the world.
1: You know, it's, very, it's like the Jewish people kind of concern yourself with the now. Right. Not when the end is coming. Right. Okay, go on. Sorry.
0: Uh, They take a Matthew 25 approach which says people cannot know the day or the hour and tend not to speculate on the details. They believe the end will come but focus more on the teachings of Jesus in the gospels. And just like in Judaism they believe in the basic events that will associate with the end times. False prophets and general lawlessness Plagues and natural disasters, a final battle between good and evil, or heaven and hell, the second coming of Jesus, the Messiah, a resurrection of the dead, the punishment of the wicked, the righteous are transformed into a divine, immortal state, humanity living with the one true God. A majority of evangelical Protestants actually believe we are now in the end times, and if you read the signs correctly, you can figure out when Jesus will return. They pore over the book of Revelation to figure out the signs of the end times. Some Christians believe that an antichrist will usher in the end times as described in Revelation 13. Many evangelical Protestants see the establishment of Israel, the reclaiming of the Jewish homeland, as a favorable sign of the last days. Evangelicals also believe in the rapture. During the end times, there will be an event when born-again Christians will be literally caught up into the air and meet christ in the clouds
1: next is islam islam follows the teachings of the prophet muhammad who lived from 570 to 632 ce making islam about 1400 years old this is from wikipedia on islamic eschatology in islam the quran Describes the inevitability of resurrection, the final judgment, and the eternal division of the righteous and the wicked, which takes place on the day of resurrection, also known as the day of judgment. It is characterized by the annihilation of all life, which will then be followed by the resurrection and judgment by God. Similar to Christianity and Judaism, Islam teaches that there will be a resurrection of the dead that will be followed by the final tribulation and the eternal division of the righteous and the wicked. The Day of Judgment is called several names throughout the Quran, such as the Day of Reckoning, the Last Day, and the Hour. During this period, terrible corruption and chaos would rule the earth, as we've mentioned before, common sign, except it's not a sign when every whether mm-hmm. it's 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 4,000 years ago, they all say that. Yeah. So it's hard to follow a sign that lasts 5,000 <laughs> years.
0: <laughs> it's, like, it's like, guys, I, I, I think we just have to kind of accept that that's just. Yeah. It's part of the problem that's going to be with us.
1: Yeah, exactly. During this period of terrible corruption and chaos, it's caused by Masih ad Dajjal, which is similar to the Antichrist in Christianity. And then the prophet Isa, or mm-hmm. Jesus, which I wanted to find out a little bit more.
0: Don't think he's divine, but they do no, think he's a prophet. but
1: they, they, don't, they think that he will come back. Right. And he will, as Isa, he will defeat the Antichrist and establish a period of peace, liberating the world from cruelty. So it's interesting there's that connection there. Right. These events will be followed by a time of serenity. When people will live according to religious values. So again, there's that whole idea of resurrection, judgment, final battle.
0: And things going good.
1: And then things are awesome. <laughs> I think we should end with Norse mythology.
0: The heavy metal of religions.
1: Heavy metal! <laughs> yeah. We've talked about Norse mythology before. It's We're so fans. Odd.
0: Yeah, they're, they're very odd.
1: And uh, we'll we'll focus a little bit more now on Ragnarok, or the Twilight of the Gods, or the Doom of the Gods. There's it a sounds lot. Sounds of...
0: like a concert. It does. I'm going to Ragnarok, man.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the final destruction of the world in the great conflict between the Aesir or the gods, or the Aesir, and the giants. sounds like a computer company. <laughs> And uh, the giants and the powers of hell under the leadership of Loki. So we're going to go into the events that lead up to Ragnarok. Okay. And then what happens afterwards as well.
0: I want to know. It starts with a series of events in which all gods and people are fated to fulfill
1: even the gods cannot escape their fates
0: the one major event that started the wheels careening towards the end of the world was a party the gods were having fun throwing things at Baldur, the son of Odin and Frigg he was indestructible except for one thing mistletoe
1: of all the things who knew
0: you don't kiss under this mistletoe, no, you just no, keep no. it away from him.
1: So here, there's a backstory to this, of course. The gods knew that Baldur could not be killed. So just for fun, they would throw sticks and stones and rocks, lots of things at him.
0: It sounds kind of like that show, Jackass.
1: It is very Jackass. <laughs> they would literally sit there and throw things at Baldur. And everyone liked him. Oh man! Everyone liked him. And uh, it's so this is where... Loki gets his mischievous streak. They don't really explain the motivation for this, but...
0: Tricksters are not meant to be explained. They're impulsive. Okay. Okay? So anyway, Loki tricks the blind god, Hod, into throwing a spear with mistletoe, which instantly killed Baldar. The gods weren't just angry at, at his role in killing one of their favorite sons, but because they knew this event would lead... To Ragnarok, so they decided on a nasty punishment. Who's the jackass that let everybody know that mistletoe was the one thing?
1: Uh, No, that was Loki being sneaky again.
0: Yeah, but he started a conversation. Who let him know that mistletoe was the problem? Frigg
1: had all of creation promise not to hurt Baldur. Okay, and the one living thing that didn't promise and Frigg didn't really see it as a problem was this little plant mistletoe. Wow. So she didn't pursue getting mistletoe to agree not to hurt Baldur. So when Muy Mal Muy Mal. So when Loki <laughs> struck up a conversation with her right. she um he was like So you know what is nothing nothing gonna hurt him you know like there's nothing and she said well there's mistletoe but you know it's not a big deal right and it's just a little plan i didn't think it was a big deal so of course loki is like ha ha i'm gonna get the blind yeah. guy i'm gonna put some mistletoe on the end of the spear i'm gonna give the blind guy the spear i'm gonna tell him where to throw it and boom
0: start the end chaos
1: times. ensues
0: start the end times because he's impulsive i mean he must have known this was going to cause ragnarok too
1: see this is the thing so not only were the gods upset that their favorite one of their favorite sons was killed but they knew what it meant mm-hmm. so they wanted to really punish loki mm-hmm. and in my opinion they they went so over the top that they actually of course because of their fates yeah. ended up speeding along ragnarok
0: making it worse
1: exactly okay so
0: there so, you go loki was the father of some very odd children His children include the goddess of the underworld, Hel. H-E-L. Mm-hmm.
1: Jormungand.
0: Who is the world serpent who encircles Midgard. Fenrir, the giant dreaded wolf, Vali and Nari.
1: They don't say much about Vali and Nari, except for the next part.
0: Okay. The gods captured Loki's sons, Vali and Nari, turned Vali into a wolf, and watched as he ripped his defenseless brother apart. Nice, huh? Yeah, I'm already. Right. It gets uh, worse. Yeah. Keep reading. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Then they took Nari's entrails and used them to bind Loki to three stones. And just to add to the horrendous torture, the goddess Scotty took a huge venomous serpent and tied it just above Loki's head, so that its venom would drip onto his face.
1: So he witnesses his sons—one devour the other, the uh, Nari getting ripped apart, his entrails tying him to this rock—and then you have, the, you know, this fate.
0: That's that's just going to cause trouble.
1: Going to cause trouble. I so mean, I, I'll, I'll
0: give him like uh, an A for like creative. Disgustingness, but I
1: suppose
0: that's yeah, very couldn't have thought of that.
1: And one underrated character I find in Norse mythology is Loki's wife Sigin, she yeah. stays with him the whole time, and he was there on that rock for a long time. Yeah. And she would hold up a bowl to catch the venom so that it wouldn't touch Loki. But every now and again, she had to empty the bowl, the venom from the snake that's hanging over Loki's head would drip on him. He would scream and tremble because the pain was so strong, it would cause earthquakes. The earth would shake. And then she would go back to catching the venom in the bowl. Mm -hmm. And she stayed at his side until he finally escaped. And that began the wheels turning towards Ragnarok.
0: Well, now he has motivation. That's right. After Loki's horrendous treatment, He gathered the giants and his daughter Hel and the Underworld, led them straight to Asgard. Now, Loki's whole family was out for vengeance. Don't blame him. The World Serpent locked into a battle to the death with Thor. Fenrir, the giant wolf, got loose from his prison, swallowed the sun and anything else in his path. Fenrir then kills Odin and Tyr before falling to Vidar, one of Odin's sons. At the very end of Ragnarok, Hemdall and Loki mortally wound each other. But wait, there's more.
1: There's more.
0: Mm-hmm. Almost all other life in the Norse cosmos will be destroyed. This ends things for God, Giant, Dwarf, Elf, Man, and everything else. Now, there are two versions of the myth of Ragnarok. In one of them, Ragnarok is the final end of the cosmos and no rebirth follows it. This version seems older. However, the other speaks of rebirth. In this version, Vidar, Odin's son who killed Fenrir, survives along with Thor's sons, Magni and Modi. They inherit Thor's hammer, Mjolnir. Mjolnir. It is important to remember that as well as being a weapon, that hammer was used to sanctify important events such as births, marriages, and coronations. So it would have been a vital tool for rebuilding the world. You can learn more about this in episode 32, Thor was a lovely bride and Loki his manly bridesmaid.
1: Even the Norse have two versions.
0: It's interesting.
1: One is more pessimistic, just everything ends, and the other one has a little bit of rebirth.
0: It's interesting because there's some elements of... uh, of Hinduism, even with you can see traces of it in uh, Norse the mythology. The giant
1: serpent I thought was very interesting as a connection.
0: But the very beginning of um, of Norse mythology is that the cow licks things into mm-hmm. the cow's very important which you can see that also in Hinduism.
1: Yes, yeah. And even if you think of old, uh, like Minoan, they have the bull. Mm
0: -hmm. I think
1: the bull slash cow is very significant in a lot of these older religions. When you do have a religion that is a little hopeless, Mm. you you do see that you look for something so it's not so final. Like, oh, it's the end of the world. We all die. The end.
0: Yes, it kind of leads to nihilism
1: oh yeah and and if you think it is the end times, then you think, Oh my God, it's all gonna end, so you you almost so who need cares? this yeah, you need this renewal
0: yeah you need you need something you to need care hope. about, we need mm-hmm. hope it, yeah it's it's this idea that it's hopeless it's, it's just a little too rough, but very metal, <laughs>
1: <laughs> as you said, it's the heavy metal Of it is. all mythology.
0: It, it is. the fantastically terrible character or creature this week is the plague doctor close your eyes and imagine a steampunk birdman showing up to your door after you've contracted a disease that's killing everyone in your town you cough as you answer the door <laughs> and see the long white beak on the other side of the beak are strange metal ringed goggles instead of eyes On top of the Birdman's head is a heavy leather top hat. If that wasn't intimidating enough, he's holding a stick that could be used as a weapon or an examination tool.
1: You don't often have a dual purpose.
0: I like this dual purpose. Tool
1: slash weapon.
0: Well, it's like a hammer. You can build stuff you can kill people.
1: (laughs) You don't see many doctors (laughs) walking around the hospital (laughs) with a hammer. (laughs)
0: If you're Thor, you are.
1: Yes, but he's not a doctor. Right. Uh He is in the comics. He's more of a priest slash warrior. In in
0: the the original comics, he was a doctor.
1: Are you serious? I'm serious. Thor was a doctor. Thor was
0: a doctor in the original comics.
1: Oh, my God. Okay, we're getting way off topic. Sorry. Back to the plague doctor. The plague
0: doctor. The plague was once the most feared disease in the world, capable of wiping out hundreds of millions of people.
1: It's really nuts. I mean, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but... When you read those numbers, yeah. it's insane. How and, many and you compare died. the numbers
0: of our pandemic to that one; it's kind of like, well, like, I know those people are dying, but man, that was really bad back then. I
1: can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine.
0: Victims suffered gruesome symptoms like high fevers, violent coughs, weakness, painfully swollen lymph nodes, blackened skin, and bleeding inside and out.
1: Just awful. It's Ugh. like
0: it's like it's just That's messing why you, if you up look completely. At
1: art from this period from the 1600s or medieval period because it wasn't just one plague it came and went for a long time but the symptoms are so gruesome
0: yeah yeah since most doctors wanted to stay away from these people cities would contract special physicians to treat infected patients regardless of income Mm -hmm. they wanted to ensure that the poorest among them would get treated since stopping the spread was the only way to protect everyone
1: makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they were specialized doctors who would have a, a contract with the city or with the town. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kings would have their own.
0: Right. And Nostradamus.
1: Absolutely the most famous Nostradamus, plague doctor yes. of all.
0: Came up with the rose pill. They don't know how it worked, but it, it supposedly worked, at least from what I... I've read.
1: From what we've read. And he was also, he had a perfume factory too. In these days, they would use aromas and aromatherapy and different oils Mm -hmm. to help cure different ailments.
0: And he also suggested for people to walk outside to get fresh air.
1: He was the one who said, don't be near the dead. Change the sheets. You need everything clean. Don't go and co- come in contact with people who are infected, right. And keep the fresh air because a lot of times they would close the windows, right,
0: right? So
1: he said the opposite you need fresh air, you need everything clean.
0: So he just wasn't the you know, I guess you know, predictor he was ahead of, of, his, time. He was ahead yeah, of his time, yeah. It's not
1: like he could predict things, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. He was, I don't know if he ever wore the outfit, perhaps, I don't know what. Mm.
0: That's something to investigate.
1: Mm. What information do we have on this costume that they wore?
0: I don't know. Someone like birds? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Just kidding. The first mention of the iconic plague doctor was made in 1619 by Charles de Lorme, a physician serving King Louis XIII of France during the outbreak in Paris.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Charles de Lorme described the infamous costume that included a coat covered in scented wax Breeches connected to boots a shirt that was tucked in and a hat and gloves made of goat leather and sometimes a wax coating
1: maybe they, they wanted the the disease to just slide off <laughs>
0: Well, maybe they thought that, yeah. It's, it's so it wouldn't
1: a, penetrate. I'm it, sure it you know, had to do with... Uh,
0: like a protective layer. That, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, they were dealing with what they were dealing with, with the technology and knowledge that they had back exactly, then, right? Exactly, exactly. So there were also two very important pieces, a leather top hat that helped identify them as doctors, and a stick or baton. Plague doctors used the stick to avoid touching the patients with their hands, and if need be... Use them to defend themselves against angry or desperate victims.
1: Yeah. Not everyone would be happy with a plague doctor's diagnosis.
0: That hammer, right?
1: They were doctors. They were often almost like a priest to help comfort them. Right. They would also uh, make good lists of who the victims were, the number of victims, what their symptoms were. They'd have reports that they would give back to the city. Mm Mm-hmm. And for people's last will and testaments, they were often a witness. Right. And they would help make sure that the victim's wishes were carried out after they died. Right. They did a lot of things.
0: That's amazing. So they
1: said a lot of the written accounts that they have are from the plague doctors, who are very meticulous. I guess it depended on the doctor, but Mm -hmm. they have really good records of this period from them.
0: Well, you're going to have to be a special type of person.
1: So. Yeah, I wonder. Is yeah. the motivation you want to help? Are they, do they get paid really well so you take the risk? I'm not sure.
0: Maybe curiosity? Yes, so some can. would be
1: research, some would be money. I'm sure it was a them. mixed bag.
0: The main purpose of the outfit was to protect the doctors from miasma. Mm. In those days, they believed that the plague spread through poisoned air, and they thought this medieval hazmat suit would protect them from getting infected.
1: I like that, a medieval hazmat suit. I
0: think it's pretty cool. I think they need to bring it back. (laughs) You know, in a more modern sense.
1: There, There were other accounts I read that said part of the costume was almost like a gargoyle to scare the disease.
0: Oh, well, probably because they believed in the humors and stuff. So that's, that's right. Yeah, so it was
1: an, the miasma just, would cause an imbalance in your humors. Right. <laughs>
0: the humors. <laughs> the humors. <laughs> <laughs> this is from NationalGeographic.com. Their headgear was particularly unusual. Plague doctors wore spectacles and a mask with a nose that was half a foot long, shaped like a beak filled with perfume, mm-hmm. and had two holes to breathe from. See,
1: that that description is from the original account by Charles de l'homme in 1619.
0: Yeah, you could. When we were in Venice, we saw a lot of plague doctor masks. Oh yeah, that you it's could very popular, yeah, it's popular now too.
1: But it's a little crisscrossed now. When we th- when we see that, it's associated with carnival, death, and macabre things. But really, it was the doctor that was there to help you. Right. So it's a little funny how it went from. Helping someone to being a symbol of death.
0: Now, the beak, the beak.
1: Also,
0: also carried a compound of more than 55 herbs and other components like viper flesh powder, cinnamon, myrrh, and honey. No frankincense. Maybe. No gold. (laughs) (laughs) No gold. The Lauren thought the beak shape of the mask would give the air sufficient time to mix with the protective herbs before it hit the plague doctor's nostrils and lungs.
1: So they thought it had a disinfectant type quality to them.
0: Interesting. And
1: of course, the smell would help the doctor survive through the smells of all the victims, the dead people. It was a dual purpose. To try to make the air smell better for them and also to help protect them against the miasma or the airborne disease.
0: Right. The plague is caused by Yersinia pestis, bacteria that can be transmitted from animals to humans and through flea bites, contact with contaminated fluid or tissues. An inhalation of infectious droplets from sneezing or coughing.
1: So they definitely knew to stay away from people when they were sneezing and coughing. Do
0: you think they had the one meter rule?
1: Well, they, he had a <laughs> stick, and I'm, the sticks look at least a meter. So, right, yes, right. I think they did. <laughs>
0: That's it for today. Seven Robots Fantastically Terrible. Podcast is by Miguel Guerra and Suzy Diaz and written by Suzy. We want to thank
1: everyone for listening. Everyone. <laughs> and you, and you, and you. If you enjoy our show and want to help support us, you don't need to spend a penny. Give the episode a like. So easy. And if you haven't subscribed or followed us yet, please do. It helps us with our statistics on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And, it, you know, it's really cool when we see.
0: Yeah, it's awesome.
1: <laughs> it's fantastic when we see, oh, someone else liked it, or, oh, we got a new subscriber. It's really a little party in our house. Yeah. We don't uh, know what you're thinking unless you tell us. And that's your way of communicating with us. Mm -hmm. So please like the episode or even leave a comment and say hello. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Better yet, even drop a suggestion for a show.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. If you have suggestions for future episodes, that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. So for more information on this episode, including links to everything we reference, Please visit our website at www.7robots.com podcast.
0: Remember to check out Ghost Metal, our free comic on Webtoon and now on Tapas. Read each week as we serve you bite-sized sci-fi and horror stories on a macabre menu of detestable delights. A new episode is up every Friday For your abhorrent amusement.
1: And just a little bit of good news. We passed 800 subscribers. Yes. We're almost at 900. Yes. And I think once we hit 1,000, maybe we'll do a special podcast on that.
0: Yes, we will.
1: Just to share some good news and some funny stories (laughs) about things we've gone through along the way.
0: And maybe even talk about some future stories that are going to be in Ghost Metal. That's a good point. Mm Mm-hmm.